It's the Grateful Badass Podcast, weekly bringing you inspirational stories, conversations with a few badass guests, all while reminding you to live both in and with gratitude. It's Grateful Living, Badass Style. This is Stacey Mack, your host of the Grateful Badass Podcast. This is episode 122. Welcome. So very happy to have you in our closing episode of our Hidden Figures in Black History series in celebration of Black History Month. It has been a wonderful ride. I thank you so much for coming along with us as we have turned our attentions to the not so well-known, huge phenomenal names and persons and individuals within the civil rights movement and beyond. This week, we have decided upon closing out with Diane Nash, civil rights activist and strategist. We presented Southern white racists with a new set of options, kill us or desegregate, Diane Nash. Diane Judith Nash was born May 15, 1938 in Chicago, Illinois. She was born and raised in Chicago and she would graduate from Hyde Park High School in 1956. She would decide that Miss Nash would decide to attend Howard University in Washington, D.C. But after some time there, she would relocate to the South. She would relocate to Nashville, Tennessee, where at the Fisk University, uh, both, of course, HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. Back then, of course, uh, African-American black students didn't have any other choice of what to attend, schools to attend. So she transferred to Fisk University, and it's interesting because she had a rude, a great grand rude awakening of segregation, something she had not been privy to being born and raised in Chicago. And so it, it seems as though it really just, segregation just stuck uh, with her as just this thing that she just could not um, overcome. And so she decided to do something about it or basically find a way to challenge segregation just after her rude awakening when she relocated to Nashville. This was in the early 60s, and she would come upon James Lawson, and he was heading up, I think he was a graduate student at Vanderbilt at the time, a seminary student, I believe, James Lawson, and he was heading up nonviolent workshops. And so I've, I think I've spoken before on how just strategic these protests um, were. It wasn't just, you know, everyone meet at um, this restaurant in downtown Nashville, which is what they would end up doing with the, with the lunch counter sit-ins. But they had nonviolent workshops to prepare them for all that was to come. And interesting enough, I've read that Diane Nash decided she would participate, but she was a little leery with the whole nonviolent stance. Something that she would come to champion, by the way, the nonviolence uh, protest, a uh, peaceful protest movement. And so she would attend workshops, and it's interesting because she would actually become a leader of of of, of these groups, and and in regards to preparing for the lunch counter sit-ins. And I thought that that was very interesting. Somebody, somebody from Chicago, who relocates and not. You know, maybe that's what it took, you know, somebody from outside of the South to, you know, really garner their, um, their strength and their courage. But I also did read that initially she wasn't so courageous and it just sort of, they kept asking her and asking her to be a leader within this movement. 
So within this, these events that they were planning, events of protests in regards to the lunch counters where basically um, students, persons of color, black persons, persons of color were not allowed to sit in and have lunch. Back then they had, what, Woolworths and all different types of uh, department stores, but they had a diner, just say inside. And so that was came to be known as the lunch counter sit-ins. And so they were protesting by the fact that they were able to go in and purchase merchandise, but they were not able to sit in and have lunch or dinner. They had to, you know, basically take their food to go. So Diane Nash and so many others thought that this was just crazy. And so hence the lunch counter sit-ins. And I thought that this was in the early 60s, by the way. And I thought, and, you know, and in my reading and research, Diane Nash would at the time come and meet John Lewis. And we know represent, we know him as representative of John Lewis past uh, not that long ago. <laughs> He's definitely known for good trouble, necessary trouble. And they all were definitely getting into good trouble and necessary trouble. And I think I read something where Diane Nash was quoted as saying that sometimes you just have to be bad. And I thought that that was so interesting, but true. So they would actually prevail in regards to the lunch, the, the very strategic and well-planned, well-organized lunch counter sit-ins that she and, uh, you know, so many others would, would be a part of. They would be jailed. And I've read that they decided to have, you know, the take the no bail. They would just jail, no bail. I think that's what, what it was called, was their stance because they felt as though they would just do the jail time. They didn't want to take the easy way out. They wanted the people to know, the, the, the officers, the judges to know that they were serious about this movement and they weren't just going to just take the get out of jail free card and just be gone. And it wasn't going to be that easy. And so it's interesting, extremely interesting because they were successful in the lunch counter sit-ins in Nashville, Tennessee in the early sixties, where they presented such a profound effect, you know, on the commercial uh, part of these department stores that the department store business owners decided to voluntarily desegregate. And I read where Diane Nash had a conversation with the mayor. His name was Mayor Ben West. And she frankly asked him, and I'm just, just feeling all of the energy of badassery <laughs> and just the courage. And she asked, she's what, 20 years old or so, 19, 20, 21. And she's asking mayor of Nashville at the time, Mayor Ben West, you know, did he think that it was right to be able to sell black people merchandise and refuse them service? And he candidly agreed with her that he thought that it was wrong. Three weeks after that conversation, the business owners decided voluntarily to desegregate, which was a successful win for the lunch counter sit-ins, Diane Nash and her comrades. And I think it's just so phenomenal. And uh, it, it wasn't the end all be all of the civil rights movement. It was just the beginning actually, but it was a great win to take. From there, she would go on as a founding member of SNCC, which is a student nonviolent coordinating committee known as SNCC, and which was an independent organization. It was actually independent, um, just an independent organization, something like the SELC, the student, I'm sorry, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, but it was just for the young people, basically. So it was, it was similar to the SCLC, but it was their version as SNCC for the younger college students. And they were actually separate, separate. They were on their own. 
making decisions, has their, their own leadership and whatnot. And she was a founding member, Diane Nash was. And so they continued, it was SNCC. She continued to protest segregation. She, SNCC began participating along with the SCLC and continue, continuing on different protests. And then they would bring themselves, SNCC would, to the Freedom Rides. And the Freedom Rides were designed in 60, early 61, 1961. The Freedom Rides would come about and they were designed to combat state segregation, basically interstate bus travel. And Diane Nash was at, was at the helm of the Freedom Rides and she would coordinate rides from Nashville, Tennessee, rides that would go from Birmingham, Alabama to Jackson, Mississippi. And basically they, these were uh, black students who would just get on the bus and ride through from state to state, basically to prove their point, to, you know, um, rule out desegregation. I'm sorry, rule out segregation. And it was extremely dangerous. There were people were, were killed. People were, buses were burned. It was just horrible from what I've read and what I'm sure you have seen as well in documentaries and movies and films. And Diane Nash is quoted as saying, we knew someone would be killed, but we cannot let violence overcome violence. But we cannot let nonviolence overcome violence. And so she was just so courageous uh, because I believe even, even like um, Robert Kennedy, some really big people got involved and were trying to get her and, you know, and the leaders of the Freedom Riders uh, freedom rides to basically stop because they were putting kid kid well not putting these kids were at danger they all were in danger because they were going through all of these segregated towns within the deep south and the people were ready for them these white races were ready for them and they were stoning the bus burning the bus they were doing just crazy horrible tactics to get them to basically you know just go away and so she decided, no, it was not going to be the case. They were, you know, not going to let, um, you know, scare tactics, violent tactics to scare them away. And they knew the consequences and they kept going. In 63, she was appointed by President Kennedy to a national committee to promote civil rights legislation, which would be the committee that will work on the implementation of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. In 1963 as well, she implemented uh, the Selma to Montgomery marches. The Selma, Selma violence, which led to this violence as this is very, very, um, there's the movie Selma in regards to this uh, particular point in time and Diane Nash, John Lewis, and so many others, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., his uh, participation in the Selma marches, the Selma voting rights marches, the movement, and um, which led, it was, there was, I know you've seen Selma and so many other documentaries and films, which just highlight uh, going across the, uh, the, the Edmund Pettus Bridge and just coming to just a, a group of um, policemen on horses that just, just, just ran rampant over them and John Lewis is noted as being hurt. I think there was one person killed on that day and it's known as Bloody Sunday. And Diane Nash was in the middle of it all. And so from that, 
we turn to she was awarded in 1965 from SCLC the highest honor which is the Rosa Parks Award was given to Diane Nash for organizing the Alabama Project and of course the Selma Selma Voting Rights Movement of which I just mentioned and all of that led also to what to Selma Voting Rights Movement and Bloody Sunday all of that led uh, courageously to the Voting Rights Act of 1965. So all of these protests, all of the violence, all of the uh, the deaths and the injuries led to wins, you know, at great cost, but led to wins. And these were extremely courageous indiv young individuals. If I'm not mistaken, 21, uh, John Lewis was maybe 21, 22 at the time. Martin Luther King was maybe 25, 26 or maybe a little bit older at the time. And these were all incredibly young people, incredibly courageous people. Um, and it's and it's just very inspiring just reading and researching um, everything that they were went through, everything that they were a part of is very inspirational. And I definitely wanted to highlight Miss Diane Nash and her phenomenal work. She is still alive today. Uh, you can check out, I was looking at a YouTube video where she appeared on Boston University's campus. I think it was last year, January, no, not last year, 2019, pre-COVID. And, um, or maybe, no, I think it was January of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. And she leaves a tremendous uh, legacy. There's the film, Eyes on the Prize, 1987. Uh, another film, A Force more powerful uh, was uh, published in 2000 and she's been given just these distinguishable honors there's the distinguished american award from the jfk Lib library and foundation john f kennedy library and foundation in 2003 she's been given the lyndon b johnson award from for leadership and civil rights uh, by the Lyndon B. Johnson Library and Museum. She has honorary doctorates from Fisk University and the University of Notre Dame. And it goes on and on. And I, I think I failed to mention the time when she was in jail in in Mississippi behind the Freedom, Freedom Rides, um, in jail and pregnant. And she faced with, uh, I think it was contributing to the delinquency of a minor because uh, in coordinating these Freedom Rides. And she was, um, she faced two years of jail time. And it's interesting, she was pregnant at the time and she wasn't going down. She was ready to do her two years. She ended up serving 10 days and the judge basically threw the case out. But we're talking, we're talking real loss of liberty and, um, and so much, uh, in, in, in the loss of so much so that she could stand and keep standing for the movement, for the civil rights movement, which is a phenomenal. She's definitely um, grateful. She's definitely a badass and so fitting for Grateful Badass Podcast and so fitting for the closure of our Hidden Figures in Black History series. And uh, she, like I said, she's still alive and well. And today, I believe she is 82 years old. She relocated after, um, I believe, her work within the civil rights movement, she would relocate back to Chicago. And she's, she's a protester. She's, she's just the activist at heart. And she would, would, would work in the areas of education and real estate, which led to fair, fair housing and anti-war movements. And, um, just 
we definitely salute Miss Diane Nash. And like I stated, check out Eyes on a Prize, that film, which uh, was published in 87. And there's so much other work out there. There's so many other things that are out there to learn more about Miss Diane Nash. And we are, with that, are going to close out our Hidden Figures in Black History series. Thank you so much for your love and support. Stay tuned for next month as we celebrate Women's History Month. I'm super excited. I'm in the process of getting together phenomenal series on behalf of Women, Women's History Month. So definitely stay tuned. And of course, check out grateful.badass.com for us. You can subscribe to our newsletter. There's a merch. There's merch you can purchase. We have t-shirts, mugs, so much others, other things. There's, of course, you know the books. There is the Grateful Bad, I'm sorry, Grateful as Ever Daily Quarantine Notes, Fine and Soilers during the coronavirus pandemic. And there is the Badass Journal, the practical tool, the Grateful as Ever Daily Journal and Workbook. I am combing through that workbook daily myself, and I am finding that it is a phenomenal practical tool to live in it with gratitude daily, to keep yourself on track, also to list your short-term and long-term goals, and just to stay in tune with yourself, especially during these times. Um, the pandemic as of late just has been, just still the, the notion of being closed, a closed city, a closed nation, a closed world, kind of just lately kind of got to me. I was in this pandemic fog, Plus the winter time, the gray skies, not much sun out, still cold. <laughs> I'm still a Southern girl at heart. So the weather in New York City does get to me sometimes in the winter. And we're just, the whole country is coming out of so much snow and such incredible uh, climates this time. So it's been, um, it's been a lot to deal with and um, I'm sure I am not alone. So anyhow, check out the, the Grateful As Ever Daily Journal and Workbook, and we are just going to journal together and grow in gratitude. Also, there's an invitation to join the Facebook private group, Grateful As Ever Community Group, and check that out. Please um, send a request to join because we are growing in gratitude. This is a community. This is a daily effort and endeavor. And so it's, as you know, it's extremely dear to my heart. So thank you for rocking with Grateful Badass Podcast. Um, pick up, join the Facebook group. On this Sunday at 4.30, we are having a book discussion, Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy, because, you know, we are growing in gratitude. And so that book focuses on procrastination and how to dispel it. And I enjoyed the book, so I just want to have a brief chat. If you have read the book, come on. If you have not, still come on Sunday on Instagram Live. Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy. And uh, it'll be good. It'll be a good time. And we are growing in gratitude. Grateful living by that style. And as I close, as my maternal grandmother would always say, have a good day today and a better day tomorrow. Bye.